0: In a world needing the horses more now than ever, the horses can't bring their magic, medicine, and message without the courage and leadership of equine-assisted practitioners. Welcome to Soulful Money and Mindset, the podcast for equine-assisted practitioners. Welcome to this edition of Soulful Money and Mindset. I'm so excited this week to have Cindy Soul with me. She is going to share a lot of information with us. She is the founder and president of Heart Soul Horses Helping Humans, a 501c3 nonprofit organization established for Mustangs. She is certified as a Reiki Master Teacher, Animal Communicator, Strategic Invention Coach, and co-owns a veterinary practice. Wow, how many hats can a woman wear? <laughs> Cindy Hartzell, she has studied horsemanship for over 21 years. So, Cindy, you must have started when you were like three. <laughs> <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> well, welcome to Soulful Money and Mindset. I'm thrilled to have you here. I'm Man, you know, when did horses enter your life? You seem to be like all about the horse. I mean, veterinary medicine... Horsemanship, all of these things. When did horses enter your life?
1: I think I was born with them running through my veins, but I actually got my four, first horse when I was eleven years old, and uh, so that's been a, a while. Um, <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't take my horsemanship journey to the level that I I now have it um, until 21 years ago, but I've had them in my entire life. They have been what's kept me sane.
0: Kept you saying, you know, I don't know about you. Yes. I can see how I look back in my own life and see where horses, you know, helped me keep my sanity. And I also look back before I became knowledgeable, you know, even knowledgeable that horsemanship existed. And I'm thinking how lucky I am to still be alive, you know, (laughs) some of the bonehead moves I pulled on horses. Right. You know, and that I a lot of the women that I work
1: with, you know, they had horses growing up and then they went to college and got married and had kids and did life. And now they're ready to bring a horse back into their life. And we all say, oh, my God, I had no idea what I was doing back then. And that's what makes horses so incredibly amazing is they know in your heart and soul that you have no ill intentions. And when we're young, we don't have fear, you know, so we just get on and trust and say, let's go. And they're like, let's go. You know, there's not I think it's uh, an opportunity for them and us in that point in our lives to just cut loose and get ri- get away from all the rules and the, you know, regulations and disciplines. And yeah, we, we did survive, didn't we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Amazingly. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, um, What inspired you to get into this work that you're doing with horses now? I mean, you know, where was the shift? You were you had horses growing up. What shifted for you and when? Well, um, I had
1: horses growing up because my family all worked and they didn't know what to do with me during the summer. So my parents, we had a barn right up the road from us and there was a pony there being leased, a little Welsh pony being leased. And my parents thought, oh, this is great. He'll babysit her while we we're all at work. And so I was, I had a very, very abusive childhood. And it was, when I say horses kept me sane, I believe they literally saved my life. Um, I had abuse during growing up. I um, had a troubled teen uh, years, and they are what kept me sane. They are what kept me grounded and I really believe that if I didn't have them in my life at that time, I would either have probably been dead due to drug addiction or pregnant, homeless, runaway. Um, So they literally saved my life. So fast forward, I now am married um, for the second time. I have teenage kids. We have three of them. We have a veterinary practice and my horses live in my backyard and I'm watching my kids friends going through some of the challenges that I went through and I just sat out one night with my horses and I thought to myself how can I help these kids with these amazing beings but I don't really want to give riding lessons you know that's not that's they they're so much more than that so I was set out on my journey to find out what can I do with them and I ran into a gala in 2004 and got certified in that and worked with a psychotherapist um gosh we did that for like seven eight years really loved it but um I felt boxed in I I have never been one <laughs> to stay between the lines and I felt boxed in because I knew I had so much more to offer than just and I don't mean just than being the equine specialist I knew that my life experiences and my ability to be intuitive with people, um, and I have this innate wisdom I I was born with. I can't, I can't, I don't, that's just what it is. You know what I mean? Um And so I set out to discover what else is there. You know, what kind of coaching can I do or something? So then I went through a couple equine facilitated coaching programs and that was fun. I started getting out on my own and working with a lot of foster teens and things like that. And then my husband uh, got kind of excited about it. And he and I then went and got certified through equine experiential education. So that's what got me started in this equine-assisted learning work, and um, boy, it is so, uh, every session I do, I learn something, but every session I do, I stand in awe at how amazing these animals are, at being able to show up in whatever way the person standing in front of them needs them to be.
0: So yeah, that's how I got started. That's great. So I love that because it it sounds like you took one step and then the next step in your journey, each being a stepping stone and you were just collecting knowledge and wisdom and at the same time, getting clear about the work that you really wanted to do with these amazing animals. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yep. Now I'm just curious in all of this, where did Mustangs (laughs) come in? in this journey
1: in 2011 I had um, a, a little three-year-old um, amazing horse he was my partner for many years I just had to put down in August but he was three and I found I started him up to being under the saddle but I didn't want to I didn't want to put those first rides on him I wanted them to be perfect for him because he was going to be the best horse I ever had and he and he was But so I found this horseman and he started him and I really liked what he was doing. So I started um, shadowing him and working and going out on his calls and just, you know, being a sponge. And we were at a Mustang event in Reno um, event center and somebody approached him with 10 wild Mustangs uh, in one of the valleys. They lived up on a mountain on 50 acres, and he wanted to hire us to come in and gentle these Mustangs. There were 10 wild burros as well. To gentle these Mustangs to the point where they could get a halter on them, get them medicated, vaccinated, you know, if they ever had uh, medical needs and get their feet done. So we said, yeah. And uh, we went up there, and that was my first exposure to the wild ones. And these guys were, um, they had been in captivity. The BLM had rounded them up three years prior, but the youngest one was 13 and the oldest one was 27. And we worked with them for six months and we got some of them coming along, but most of them, you know, they just soon go over the panels and try and put up with the people and the The cowboy I was working with really didn't understand Mustangs. He had the philosophy of it's just another horse. And I didn't believe that, but he was the the project manager. So we got some progress and I learned so much about him. Then he and I parted ways. And in 2012, a local nonprofit here rescued um, 130 of our Nevada state-owned Mustangs. They were not owned by the BLM. They were owned by the state, which gave the state the right to do anything they wanted with them. So they rounded them all up, sent them to the auction, and this nonprofit, two nonprofits, one big one and this little one, came in and actually purchased all of them and took them out to a 650-acre sanctuary. Well, it was a rundown ranch at the time. And they, none of these guys knew what they were doing. So I found them and they I volunteered as the ranch manager. And my husband and my son and all my friends, we went in and made repaired fences and put in gates so that we could separate all these horses and do all these things. Well, I was in heaven, 130 wild mustangs. That's where my true love came for them i mean i loved them back then but this was like amazing but what was so amazing laura was the education they gave me there were 130 of them and seven bands and so together they made a herd but the bands are those little individual families and they were pulled off the range in the winter time and i would go i would get there when nobody knew i was going to be there and I would sit up on the mountain and I would just watch them interacting with one another. And when spring came along, we had all these, I called them steldings because they still acted like stallions. They were still the stallion leader of the band, but they couldn't breathe. And when spring came along, they and their mares were so frustrated And it was it was heartbreaking to see the confusion in them. But when I would sit up on the mountain and watch them, I learned so much, not only about horses and herd dynamics and horse psychology, but I learned and I sat there and thought, man, I'm going to bring people out here to observe this. I learned about social dynamics. I learned about family dynamics. I learned about how your life gets totally disrupted. I thought about the military veterans where they, they leave and they get used to being gone and then they're thrown back into this family society and nothing is the same, but they recognize the people that they once knew very well. Um, the boundaries and the, the communication and um The the communal um, upbringing of all of the babies and how they all stayed in their own bands. But when something went wrong, like we'd start sorting some out or something in in the environment would startle them. They would all come together as a herd. So watching them, when I finally left um, because of the nonprofit craziness, I took five of them with me and one of them uh, ended up pregnant. That's a whole other story Um, because I have the one who pregnated 20 before we realized he hadn't been castrated correctly. Um, So I she had a baby at our home when I adopted her and then I brought four more with me Um, and. I have become completely, I will never probably, well, I won't say never, but my horse is a Mustang now. Um, I do do rescues of other horses, but my breed is the Mustang. And I'm passionate, and I've uh, enlisted my husband as well to see what can we do for the Mustangs. There's plenty of people fighting for the ones that are wild, but there's not enough people helping the ones in captivity. So that's when we decided to start our nonprofit for um, horses helping humans and focused on helping those Mustangs in captivity um, and then turning around and doing our equine assisted learning with the Mustang so that
0: others can experience their magic. Oh, that's phenomenal. I love this. You know the uh, the mustangs. I think um, there's just not a lot of real um, what do you want to say clear and accurate information out there. I think, um, and it's through talking to people like you and steadfast steeds and you know the other people involved with mustangs. I have um, a horseman here, Tim Brock, who is um, he does the mustang makeovers. And is connected with the mustangs. When you hear the the from the people that are boots on the ground that are dealing with what's going on, you get a different piece of information. So this is really I, I'm glad to you know hear this uh, firsthand experience that you've had, and um, certainly glad to help spread the word about uh, how good mustangs are. I know myself in leading equine assisted sessions with mustangs. What I have noticed mostly is that their bubble is bigger than my domestic horses that I use at home. Have you noticed that? Yes, definitely. It just seems like um, our clients aren't even in the arena yet and we're already getting response, you know, and movement. And it's, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the horses in general are great at that work,
1: but what I've noticed with the Mustangs, um, is yes, their, their bubble is bigger. Um, they, they just have a, it almost seems like an innate ability to really um, connect with each person in the way that that person is ready. I mean, all the other, all the horses do that, but there's just something about it. Like the two that I use here primarily for my work is my new partner and then the first Mustang that I ever adopted, Dreamcatcher. She does my goddess warrior, awakening the goddess warrior within retreats that I do. We're doing one actually on Sunday, but both of those mares have such an amazing presence. They have this gentle, nurturing, loving, kind of makes you feel safe feeling about them but yet they still have this this strong presence and that's why I, I like to use them both for my goddess warrior workshop because it they represent the masculine and the feminine equally and they just help people find that within them you know like I've watched Dreamcatcher work with men who are just all, you know, very masculine. And they walk into the pen in her presence and you can just see them soften, you know, and it's funny cuz they'll kind of like you can kind of see them just step back a little bit and shake their head like what's going on,
0: you know? <laughs> yeah. So now I've noticed that the equine assisted work, particularly with bustings, is not the only thing that you do. You have quite uh, a list here of things you offer uh, Reiki master teacher. Tell me, where did that enter into everything?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, the Reiki master teacher entered into my life. Reiki entered into my life in uh, 2000. I had a skiing accident with uh, a snowboarding accident and broke the condyle part of my femur. And so I was in a CPM machine, which is a continuous progressive movement machine, eight hours a day. And um, I did it during the day because it kept my husband awake at night. And so I started that's when I really started my spiritual journey of looking in and starting to heal all of the baggage from my childhood. Um, and in that, I, I met an amazing Reiki master um, woman who did Reiki on my knee and and helped me to kind of tap into that that soul essence of myself to begin healing the the trauma from my childhood. And the Reiki was amazing. And so um, I went through my attunements with her and I, it was gradual. I didn't become a Reiki master teacher until 2011. So it was a slow process because it's traditional Chinese medicine that is very sacred and, you know, was brought over to the United States and, and it, it was hesitant to come because it was afraid that the Western world would exploit it. Um, so I took it very seriously, you know, and got comfortable giving Reiki, but then I became a Reiki master teacher because I had a lot of horse people, especially a bunch of endurance riders in Texas, who wanted to learn how to do Reiki because, you know, when they're out there doing those 50 hundred mile rides, you can't even use essential oils because they can test positive as drugs. But they wanted a way to help their horses recover their heart rate, their muscles and all of that things. So I became certified mean. I mean, I became a Reiki master teacher mainly to help people with the animal kingdom. And I use it a lot in our veterinary practice when we're working on animals for various reasons. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's what made me lead in the direction of Reiki and Reiki Master Teacher
0: was for the animals. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Now, just for our listeners that may not be familiar with what is Reiki, can you explain what that is?
1: Reiki means Ray. Re- uh, is universal and key is energy. So Reiki means universal energy. And so we are all energy beings and we live in this energy pool and everything, even, you know, like my phone, if I was put that under a high power magnet, a magnifier, um, microscope, microscope, it would, and kept breaking it down, breaking it down, it would end up being energy particles. So Reiki is the universal energy. And when you get Reiki attuned, they go, you go through a ceremony where um, the Reiki master teacher actually uh, raises your vibrational frequency through uh, um, a ceremony that they do. And you are not giving anybody Reiki. You're not healing anybody with Reiki. What you're doing is you're agreeing to be a pure and open conduit for the energy to flow through you. Now, you don't have to be Reiki attuned to be able to give energy. We give it all the time. I mean, have you walked into a room and you just somebody walked in and you could just feel their energy and you're like, oh, my God, you know, I want to I want to move away from you because they're putting off negative energy, but then you walk into the room or somebody walks into the room and they light it up and you're drawn to them. It's their energy that you're drawn to. So we can all give each other energy, healing, but the Reiki is just, it raises your vibrational frequency higher, your megahertz higher. And then when you lay your hands on another being, you may know what's wrong with them, but it's you're not in charge of their healing, it's between the universal energy and their higher self. You know, we are our own best physicians. So it's that personal physician that we all have that goes in and um, accepts that energy. And then it goes throughout the body to where it's needed. But it's very calming. So that's why it's great to use on the animals and the horses. And I use it on my clients. I also teach horsemanship. Um, and I use it on both my clients and their horses to just help them calm down and, you know, let go of the fear is a, a low dense energy. So when you can put your hands on somebody and they're open to receiving, which animals are energy junkies, they're Reiki junkies, people, they get that frontal lobe of doubt in the way and it's harder for them to receive. <laughs> But when you flow a higher vibrational frequency than fear, which is actually very low vibrational frequency, it
0: can help that being raised. Did Mm -hmm. I answer that question? That seemed like it was a lot. Yeah, no, it was great. And, you know, I can't help but think about um, energy management and healing in regard to horsemanship in the leadership that we all have to take because, you know, with horses, we have to become the leader. And I mean, if we're going to get on their back, they, they want to trust us. And so um I'm wondering, you know, what you feel like the horses have to teach us have rather have to teach us about leadership.
1: Well, I love that, that question because they have so much to teach us in so many different ways. There are some horses out there that are born leaders, you know, especially I, I tend to fall back on those Mustangs because I've been so devoted to them for so many years now um, and have learned so much. But there are born leaders in horses and you can just feel that in them. They have a very confident, grounding presence. and. When you come together with a horse, whether it's just you walk into their pen or you walk in with multiple horses, you have become a part of their herd. And because they're sentient beings and they depend on knowing and, and, and understanding each member in the herd, that the minute you say, we'll just go back to you and I or you and a horse, the minute you walk into their pen, they have started summing you up. Are you the leader? Because we've now become a herd of two. Are you my leader or do I need to be in charge? Because they know their survival depends on having that leader. Um, so for those horses that are natural leaders, they will do very subtle things with you, like they'll walk into you. And if you step back instead of driving them back, if you step back, you have just passed the first question of are you my leader? So they do. It's interesting when you understand horse psychology and herd dynamics, you can see they're constantly asking you, are you my leader? Some of them will be a little bit more rude than others. Some will be pretty sly at the questioning. But every time we answer no, then they will step up to be our leader. So they help us to find that leadership quality inside of us. And it depends on the horse. There's other horses who really need a leader. And they're constantly looking for you to be that leader. And if you keep failing the question, then what actually happens is you lower their self-confidence and their trust in you. Because now they're being forced to be with somebody who's not their leader and they're not a leader either. So they don't feel safe outside of their environment. So they if you really want to have a fun, enjoyable relationship with, or experience with horses, um, you need to find that leader within and they some demand it and some request it and some really just crave it, you know. But I have found that the more that I can help my clients and myself be a better leader. And and I like a fair, but firm and inclusive leader versus a dominating um, dictatorship. Um, But the more that you I can help people become that leader, their horse needs them to be not only do they become more confident in themselves, but their horses become more trusting of them. And you can just watch the horse's
0: confidence level rise. Wow. And can leaders not use uh, an injection in the arm of confidence right now? Yes, yes,
1: yes. And trust, you know,
0: and horses make you
1: be willing to be a little bit vulnerable. And I want a leader that shows me not only their strength, but their willingness to be vulnerable and uncomfortable in order to grow new skills and learn from their team, things that they don't know, that makes them better leaders. And horses are, I mean, do we not ask horses
0: to be vulnerable every time we put a halter on them or a saddle? You know? You know, I recently saw your presentation at a conference and it was refreshing, you know, as a mental health professional and a coach, I know that we're bringing a lot of neuroscience into our work in our field. And, you know, you're seeing that in the coaching arena as well, but you brought that on over into uh, the horse work that you're doing. And that was, I thought, wow, how fascinating, you know, we're so focused on that with humans. And now we have the science to bring that into the equine work. Um, Say a little bit about that. You know, how did that come about? Because that was really great to watch. Oh, thank
1: you. I I was so honored to present at that conference. And um, I, I was introduced to Martin Black and Dr. Stephen Peters. Martin Black is a phenomenal horseman, fifth generation um, and Dr. Stevens um, Peters is a neuroscientist. Neuroscientist, and he has uh, together they came together and and studied the the horse brain. And so I was introduced to them in 2012 at a horsemanship reunion and bought their evidence based horsemanship book and had it sitting on my shelf. Picked it up from time to time, but in 20. Um, 18 when I really said I have stuff to teach that I need to get out there and help help my goal was to help horses with human problems and make their lives better you know so I love people but I love animals so much more um, but if I can help people and and because of that it makes the lives of animals better then that's my I believe that's my purpose here but anyway I started reading their book in 2018 and it started putting pieces together that I was seeing in the mustangs because I gentle a lot of wild mustangs and put a foundation on them and then rehome them and those that time that that year and a half that I spent managing all those wild mustangs there were things going on that I knew meant something but I didn't know what that meant and so reading their book and learning about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and how horses learn and when they're in the sympathetic nervous system releasing adrenaline and fight or flight versus when they're in the parasympathetic nervous system releasing endorphins and, and, um, and they can lay down memory cells in either or you know and I started playing with it with the wild mustangs that I have here at my place and teaching. I have, I've um, taken a lot of orphaned um, Mustang babies and, you know, gentled them and started them and and rehomed them and understanding the learning process and what's going on in them um, chemically and in their neuro pathways and the autotomic uh, nervous system. It was just, It was mind blowing because now I understood what I was seeing. And once I understood what I was seeing, then I knew how to nurture each horse, meet them where they're at, nurture them and help them to overcome fear, fight or flight, learned behavior and patterning because we don't ever want to take their fight or flight. We don't want to desensitize them to the point that they don't have that. They need that. But to give them better information than they had been given from previous people who didn't understand the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous systems. And I started to understand that those horses that are Flighty and hyper and overreactive and have more go than woe. A lot of that has to do with the education, not the information they were given at a young, young age that laid down their dendrites, which are those neural pathways of communication. They were taught in sympathetic nervous system releasing adrenaline instead of taught in the parasympathetic nervous system where they're releasing um, endorphins and uh, serotonin. So it has changed my life personally, how I deal with horses, how I deal with people, how I teach horses, and I'm beginning to now overlay that into how I work with people. So it's been life-changing it's, it's amazing.
0: It sounds like it. It sounds like to me, you know, in listening to you, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, you know, it sounds like you a learned a foreign language (laughs) and B became the therapist for horses. Yeah. Yeah. So how awesome is that? I mean, that's just phenomenal. I know it was just so eye opening watching your presentation and listening to Dr. Peters talk and explain things. I thought, man, this is an entire foreign language. And really, it just laid over in the work that I'm doing with humans, which I understood on one side. I was like, oh, duh, you know, <laughs> why wouldn't it lay over with a horse? So yeah. it, it, it really and I'm, I'm so excited for more and more people to learn this foreign language, if you will, and, and be a better communicator. You know, um, I'm curious, I, you know, here before we wrap up, I want to hear about animal communicator. What's that?
1: Um, animal communication is um, it's so cool. Um, I I believe I well, first of all, animal communication is intuitive communication. You can call it psychic. You can call it intuitive. Um, we are all born with the ability to have intuitive communication. It's how we communicate as a newborn with our, with our caregivers, our parents. How does a mom know to drop the dishes and go check on her infant who is smashed up in the corner of their crib and can't breathe? Or how does a, a parent know that their child is sick? Or how do they even know what the cries mean? It's intuitive communication. It's a muscle And so we're born with it because it's actually our first form of communication. Now, for me, who had such a dysfunctional, abusive childhood, I always communicated with the animals. And I believe that that's what kept my heart from from growing cold, from just shutting down. Because the people around me, I could read their thoughts and what they were saying was not congruent with what they were thinking. And it was confusing and I didn't trust people. But the animals, the, the squirrels, the birds, the cats we had, they, they showed me, they showed me congruency. They showed me authenticity. They showed me pure love. And so for me, that muscle never atrophies, whereas when we're about one and a half, two years old, we're start, we are taught we learn to talk and we're learned to use where we're, we're made to use our words. And as that happens, that muscle atrophies, but we still have it. It's like you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, my God, I call I got to call my sister and she calls. Or you're thinking about somebody and they cough, right? That's intuition. And when we work with animals, you're using your intuition. How do you know? We think we understand the animal's behavior and that's what they're saying. But really, we're intuitively communicating. Um, So I've used it all my life and I just thought everybody else did. And in 2004, I was working on a client's uh, mini ponies. I was shaving them. And I was talking to them. And she goes, you're an animal communicator. Oh No, I think she said you're a pet psychic. And I said, what? And she goes, you talk to the animals. And I'm like, well, yeah, don't we all? And she goes, no. And she introduced me to this book. And I read the book. And while I was reading the book, it was a, another animal communicator. And I was like, oh, my God, I do that. I do that. Oh, my God, this is really... So, so that opened my world to animal communication, and I went and took a, a studied with a woman who taught animal communication, and she was like, I don't know why you're here. You already know all this stuff, and I'm like, because I didn't know it was real, or I didn't know that it was different. I thought everybody did it, so I want to learn, like, what's the right way, so basically, she taught me the etiquette. The politeness and how not to when you start communicating with an animal, they like want to pour it all on you and you'll walk away just like drained. So she taught me how to use that ability more proficiently, more responsibly, you know, just because I can read other people's not even read just because I can hear other beings thoughts doesn't mean I have the right to tap into that. And with humans, I shut that out, Laura, just recently in the last couple of years, have I started having people come in on animal communication sessions? And I'm like, all right, your animal wants me to tell you that this person to a description is here with them. Do you know that person? And they'll be like, oh, my God, that's my deceased mom or oh, my God, that's my. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, universe. This was not an agreement. I work with animals. I don't work with people. So, it's really helpful with my work that I do with horses and people. Um, I, I do do animal communication sessions. I have um, most of the people I work with are referral based or I've been working with them and their animals for since 2004 when I went professional.
0: Wow. Now, is that something you can do from a distance or do you have to be live with the animal?
1: Nope, I do it all remotely. I do it on the phone. Very, I mean, I started out only doing it in person, but now I pretty much only do it by phone.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, that is phenomenal. I love it. Cindy, this is just such a rich career that you've got here and an exciting one. It offers a variety of things to keep the mind engaged. Uh, Thank you for taking out a few minutes from your busy day to share your life story with us here.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to um, share my story. It's really it's really my purpose and passion and it's
0: ever evolving and I love it. I love it. Wow. Well, I can't wait to get out to your place and check out some of this work that you're doing one of these days. And I know I'm going to get there. So (laughs) I believe you. I believe you. And my door will always be open. But look, Uh, If you're listening to this and you're intrigued, look Cindy up. We will post her web address with the um, listing in Soulful Money and Mindset. So you can check her out, check out her work. And if you have questions, connect with her. I encourage you to do so. Cindy, thank you again. Listen, everybody. Have a soulful week. Take care.
1: Thank you.